All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening today. I am I, I'm, I'm super excited uh, right now. I've got Dave Query on the phone with me, and uh, Dave owns Big Red F Restaurant Group out in Boulder. And, uh, man, Dave is one of these guys that he was in our book. Uh, he's been in our video series. In fact, Dave is the guy that when I when I interviewed him for our book, the Restaurant Owners and Court book, four or five years ago, I knew I knew we were going to have a really good book because his and we put him first chapter in the book and it opens up really strong because Dave has been in the restaurant business for a long time, about thirty years, and uh, he's just a really he's just a wise dude. <laughs> He knows a lot about the business. He knows a lot about every side of the business and uh, and just really is able to articulate and convey a lot of lessons learned, advice, wisdom, and just he understands people really, really well, as well as anybody I've met in this business. And uh, so I'm always really excited to wrap with him. So, Dave, man, thank you once again for taking time to talk to me. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Uh, so you guys are, uh, so Big Red F now is, you've got 12 locations, uh, across four or five different concepts. You're opening three more, so you have about 15, uh, locations here soon. But you, you're kind of taking, taking a step back. Your career, um, you graduated, uh, from the Culinary Institute back in the mid-80s, and then your first restaurant, correct me if I'm wrong, was like in 1988. Is that right? Was that the Lick Skillet? Yep, that was it. So, we have ten. We have ten stores now. We'll have thirteen by the end of the year. Ten now, thirteen by the end of the year. Okay. Um, and that's and you got through sixteen. Yeah. Okay. And that's uh, you've got Jacks and you've got uh, the Post Brewing Company, Centro. There's, there's five Jacks: uh, Lodo, Fort Collins, Glendale, Boulder, and we opened in Kansas City last October. We have the Zolo Grill in Boulder, which was the first. Uh, of the Big Red F in 1994, uh, Centro, which is on the Pearl Street Mall, West End Tavern, uh, also on that same block, and the Post Brewing Company, uh, which we opened last year, and uh, we have a place called Lola down in the Highlands in Denver as well. Got it. Okay. So you guys have now, so you're in Kansas City, so you've gone, you're officially out of state. Yeah, um, we've, reached, we've reached the border. I hear you, man. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about that too because I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about why Kansas City and where else you might go. But um, one thing that I always I'll always remember the first time you talked to me about um, when you had uh, decided to start Big Red F. So you'd done the lick skillet for a while and then uh, you sold out your half of the partnership and you were uh, putting together like a it was like five concepts if I'm right for for Big Red F. Correct. And yes. you, uh, the thought of going to an investor with a group with just one, one restaurant idea, mom and pop thing wasn't as appealing to, uh, to some of these people. as so we put together five different concepts and wrote the plan. And it wasn't, the thought wasn't to do them all at once, but to let people know that, you know, we wanted to start a company rather than just a, a one, one store show. And so it really helped appeal to people and, let them know that what we were thinking. And when we came back six months after opening the first one and said, hey, we got a great opportunity on this location for the second one, uh, people weren't surprised and they weren't, you know, like, hey, you haven't even figured the first one out yet. So everybody was on the same page from the get-go that we were in it to do a, a more than one restaurant. 
so you had you had that all planned out from, from the beginning and um yeah, we and, opened uh, the five that we had in the in the book. You know, things changed. One of them was a vegetarian restaurant. We never went there, uh, and one of them was a steakhouse that we never did. But the Jack's the Fish House was in there. We had this uh, blue plate kitchen, this retro diner thing that we did um, as well. So, you know, the plan is a good roadmap, but you know, you know, plans change. So, uh, you got to be willing to change the change the trip plan as well. But that but that goes hand in hand though with having like a having investors that you know are flexible and believe in you and, and you know when you make changes and that was one of the things that really stuck out was when you were talking about attracting investors I thought it was just so um just you you were thinking long term and I thought that was really wise that you really you talked about um you know almost approaching like you would a marriage that you know it's a long term commitment you really gotta not be myopic and just go for the money, but go for the right people. T- tell me a little bit more about that that kind of thinking, because I think that's such an important piece that people miss in this business sometimes. Well, these these investor relationships actually lasted longer than my marriage, so they are a long term uh, long term commitment. Um, you know, it's a luxury to have a group of people that are interested in what you're doing, and so then you present them with the plan and the financials and. And you get them on board, and and but then you really got to think, you know, what is it that I'm looking for? I need the money, and you'll do anything, you know, when you need that money. But then the relationship kind of changes once you have it, and and the, the business is growing and is doing well, and then it starts to pay the investors back. And you know, 20 years later, it's still paying them back at a great clip. So it's a long-term relationship, and you know, the investor-entrepreneur uh, relationship is just funny because. In the beginning, there's nothing except the money that you need, and if things go well, then there's this long-term, you know, these people have made 5, 10, 15x return on their money, and uh, it's just it's the dynamic is a lot different. But having great partners is really key. You don't want that person that's, you know, going around town saying, come by my restaurant and do this and do that. You know, they're, they're silent business partners. They're there to help you. Um, where in areas where you might need it, it's, it's important to get people who have something to offer the business and and some business experience. And you know they're not they're not writing that first check by clearing out the bank account. And if it doesn't work, you know you've really affected their summer plans. These these were folks that had a little more financial wherewithal to do it over and over again when I went back to them and asked them for money. And you know it has to be a level of performance too. Nobody's just going to keep writing those checks, but. As long as the businesses are doing what you say they're going to do, and or near near that, um, you know, there's, there's a good synergy and a good relationship there with the investors. Uh, but it's important that you really like these people because you're going to be in business with them for a long time. And business, you know, money makes people weird sometimes, and how it's handled, and you know, they're they're causing the question, the honesty, and you know, the average entrepreneur is given just a ton of leeway to run a business as he or she may seem fit. And, um, you know, you got to have a lot of transparency and a lot of communication and a lot of reports and a lot of dialogue back and forth between the investors and be real honest when things aren't going well and tell them that, you know, and not just sugarcoat it and say, you know, oh, my gosh, we're going to do so much better next year than this year. You know, this year sucked, and here's why, and here's what we learned, and here's what we're going to do differently next year. You know, business like life. It isn't always rainbows and puppy dogs, so you got to be straight with your with your investor group uh, and build that trust. You know, if, 
they think you're just hoodwinking them all the time. They're not really going to trust. Great means great, you know, because sometimes great doesn't always mean great. Yeah, yeah, man. Now, did you when you um when you were talking to investors? I mean, how many did you did you roughly? How many did you talk to, and how many did you wind up? Um, we wanted having? five, and we okay. had a group of ten that were interested, and so we had to actually, you know. We had the luxury of picking and choosing people we really thought would be great long-term partners. And uh, if anybody's listening in that original group, it didn't it wasn't that personal. But um, uh, they, uh, you know, we just we picked the right people that we felt were a good match for the long-term um, connectivity to the restaurants. That you know they were they were more mature. They all worked. None of them were. Just fat cats, you know, sitting on the beach writing checks all of, to this day. All of my partners, and they're in their 70s, some of them, uh, working hard. You know, they own businesses, and they're in business, and uh, they get they get what being in business is. So there was no uh, misconceptions about how it should go. Uh, everybody is, is a small business or a corporate business participant, so everybody was on the same page as far as working hard and and what that means. So it was great. And uh, having the luxury of being able to, to pick and choose who you wanted and who you thought would be a best long-time business partner was uh, a real privilege. And this was back in like the mid, this was like mid nineties, right? Um, yeah. 90, 93, 94. And the same group, you know, they're all, and they're all have participated in all the restaurants and I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't continue to move forward. Um, it's going real well, and, and there's a lot of good friendships. And, and, you know, these are now 20-year friendships that were started on a business relationship that evolved into friendships. It's pretty pretty rare that, you know, usually it's the other way around. Um, so it's it's been great. Yeah, that's really special. And, I mean, that, that goes to show that you did all those things that you listed very well, great communication, honesty, transparency, I'm sure that your agreement works well for them, so it's like a nice, you know, annuity for them, really, isn't it? Yeah, I kept it, folks, you know, the way we did it, uh, regardless of how much money we were, were raising, we always gave the partners 90% up front, and we would take 10. And these are all LLCs that we have, so the tax uh, ramifications of the phantom income, you know, I didn't want to own everything up front because – you might have made 200 grand in a year, but you never got any of that because it went to construction and opening costs and running the business. So we always gave the bulk of the ownership to the partners, and then as they got their money back, their percentage of ownership pre-payout would be X, and then when they got their money back with interest, it would go to Y, and they would still stay involved and are involved for the life of the business. So like you said, it is an annuity. And uh, and that's a really great way to build the uh, the business model because you got you know you're telling them I want you in this thing I'm not going to use you like a bank, and it also creates a well that if things are going as planned, um, they're very eager you know to get back in the next one. There's been times when they're like, what's next, man? Kind of kind of slacking a little bit. Where's the next joint going to be? So um, it's uh, it creates a lot of excitement when they're in it for the long haul rather than just borrowing the sum of money and paying them back with a big interest rate and giving them some free food or something. So I've always, I love having partners for the life of the business, you know, and they're cheerleaders for the, for the restaurant. Boulder's a small town, so they're all running around, you know, in their own way. Some of them are very subtle about their involvement. Others are 
much more vocal about it, but it, it, you know, it's, it's great. They're, they're a little chamber of commerce for the restaurants running around being raving fans and, and bringing a lot of people into the stores. And so it's, it's an organic beast that just grows and grows and grows as things go on 20 years later. Did you, um, what would you do? I mean, you, you say you haven't had to go outside of this group all, all this time. You, they've mm-hmm. stayed involved. And I mean, what would you do now? Or what would you, what advice would you give to somebody who was going out now to raise money, whether, you know, maybe they listen to your advice and come up with multiple concepts or whatever, have a long-term plan. Is there any space on the way things are going with, uh, the economy now and how people look at restaurants now, is it different or would you do anything differently this time around? Well, we did, uh, we, on two separate occasions, we went outside of the group and we included all of the original members, but we took Jack's uh, a little more aggressively, the fish house concept and have opened three, uh, stores in the last three years. And, uh, and we did this big brewing company and, and that was an expensive ordeal with all the brewing equipment and building a brewery. So we went outside of the group and we got people, um, some more investors, people in the restaurant business, uh, friends of mine in the restaurant business, people who could really add some value uh, to what we're doing and, and, and offer some advice to me as we're continuing to grow. Um, so it hasn't been only that sole group. They've been involved with everything, but it did get bigger. I think that the advantage to that is, is if you are in the growth mode and you do want to do something that's going to, uh, going to ramp up. You want to have a larger group so you're not continuing to go back to the same group of people and be like, hey, we need another X amount of money. You know, all of a sudden, two years later, they've contributed a half a million dollars to something. That's a lot of money. So we we uh, spread it out a little bit and brought some more people on. Um, as far as who to bring on the second round or with the economy the way it is, it's really important to find people who understand what they're getting into. Restaurant business you know, I, I met a guy recently who asked me for some advice on a restaurant that he had invested in, and he explains it to me. It's this high-end place. It's actually a pretty nationally known restaurant, and and he um, told me the numbers that they were doing. It's a, it's a fine dining restaurant, and there's a lot of cost involved with fine dining with linen and nicer silverware and nicer china, much more nice china and glassware, and you know, the cost, the operating cost of running a nicer restaurant ramp up and so he explains to me what this place is doing and this guy was a investment banker Montgomery securities guy um, and had been dealing with that level of business for a long time where percentages are critical and and high returns are are what everything is based on and so he lays all it all out and tells me what this store is doing and 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 I was like wow that's kind of fantastic what you just said and he said oh, I'm so disappointed um, I think this thing could be doing twice what that is and I think sometimes, you know, business is not always business, and certain businesses and the tech business and some of the uh, stores that have less brick-and-mortar exposure and less overhead that just generate killer cash flow, you know, that's not a restaurant. Um, restaurant margins are tight, and you really have to have everything clicking well to, to get a good bottom-line return. And if you're bringing 10% to the bottom line when everything's all in, that's, you know, that's solid. If you're doing 15 or towards 20, you know, you've got a great business. And then you get, you know, these people who have invested in restaurants where they're bringing 50, 60% of the bottom line off of revenues. And they expect that same thing from a restaurant because they see the volume, they see the people, they see all the business every night, and they think this thing should be printing money in the basement. And um, it's rare, you know, that, that most restaurants are just crushing it. It's really hard, uh, hard business to make a lot of money in. But as time goes on, you learn more and more, and you get it. But um, 
I think just finding investors who who get it, what they're getting into, which means writing a business plan and writing pro formas that really are critical, you know, that are that are hard numbers and they're very honest and they don't show this pie in the sky, you know, huge return, you know, under promise and over deliver. Um, get those folks on there thinking that, you know, this thing's going to be a solid investment. And they're usually a, a restaurant, smaller restaurant investment. It's much more someone investing in someone as opposed to a concept or a model. Um, usually restaurant investments are from people that you know or you've met in other businesses. So they believe in you and they jump on board. But, you know, try to try to really make a very conservative uh, budget and pro forma so that you show these folks that this isn't, you know, you're not going to retire on this investment that you've made in Joe's Grill. Right, right. Now, you, you guys, um, when you when you first started, um, I mean, that was again in like '93. I think you told me it was like 130 or 140 thousand to get going or whatever. Um, and uh, you know, <laughs> times are different now. Uh, but I mean, do you still think early on? I'm sure you guys, you know, probably spend more on your uh, openings now than you, you did back in the day, even adjusted for inflation. But do you think it's important when you're first getting started to, to try to find, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, an existing space, some used equipment, or just try to keep your, just kind of keep things really tight, keep your overhead low? Is that is that a really that's important always, thing to do early on, or is that always the case? Always, that's always yeah. really important. And as we got bigger and developers, you know, start knocking and they're like, you know, we'll, We'll throw you these huge TI allowances and these these massive, great build-out deals, and you know we're going to charge you a little more rent as it goes on because we're giving you all this money up front. And then you know five years later, you have this huge nut every month. And um, our most successful restaurants have been the ones where we've taken second-generation locations and really been mindful of uh, sourcing used equipment and really making do with what we have. And um, and making it all about great food and great service and and a funky environment rather than these glitzy glam, you know, three hundred dollar a foot uh, build outs that can happen real quickly. So yes, keeping that initial investment low and developing that strong cash on cash return uh, is what's going to appeal to smart investors and people who want to you know get involved if you're talking about doing it multiple times. So with this looming next. Uh, economic spiral whenever it happens and statistics would show that it's going to sometime soon. Um, it's important to keep that, keep those, those investments and those build out costs low because that debt load can just be a crusher. Yeah. You told me uh, when we came out to film for the video series a couple of years ago, I remember you telling me that 18 years in, you still do a gut check every day and you know, you never know when this thing just, might not work anymore. So is that, you think that's really important to, uh, stay grounded, keep your head down and just, uh, never, you know, never assume success? Well, you gotta, and you know, an 18 year old restaurant or a 20 year old restaurant, if you've got a customer that just comes to you twice a year, you know, there's 50 visits, you know, there's, there's 40 or 50 visits just twice a year. If you got a customer that comes every month, which, you know, some people love to come in once a month. You know, there's 120, 240 visits to a single restaurant. I, I've never been to the same restaurant 240 times, you know. And so as those – and we've got customers that come in, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds that come in every week and have for 20 years. 
And so they've been in there thousands of times. And the second you stop, you know, doing that gut check and making sure the art is is floating on the walls and staying current and the front door looks well maintained and, you know, all the lights are burning bright and that the menus don't look torn and trashed and the corners of, of the high traffic areas aren't all beat and nicked up. I mean, these folks are in there for their first time or their thousandth time and they expect you to be paying attention because they're spending their money with you. And when a place looks old and tired and run down, it feels that way. The staff feels it, the customers feel it, and the food reflects it. And so, you know, it's critical to do that gut check um, as though today was the most important day. And if you don't figure it out today, then you're going to see the, the downslide of that next week and next month and next year. And all of a sudden you're doing 5, 6, 8, 10% less this year than, than you were last year. And you're like, huh. I wonder what we were doing this time last year that has, has created this situation this year that we're now off in our sales. You know, there's five new restaurants in the neighborhood. That's going to do it. Um, you know, uh, there's three rooftop patios that have great city views, and we don't have a patio, so that's going to do it. You know, there's all kinds of things. News a million-dollar word, but restaurants can stay around for a long time and be very vital and very relevant. But you've really got to, as you get older, uh, just like in life, pay attention to everything because, you know, it's not as easy um, to make things as fluid as they once were the older you get, the older your business gets. So, yeah, every every day, man, act like it's it's the most important day. And you clearly have to have really good people around you to think that way too because when you had five restaurants or whatever right there on, you know, um, in the same sort of – small area in Boulder, you're probably personally involved all the time, but now you've got, I mean, you're in, you're outside of Boulder, you're in Denver, you're now in Kansas City, so talk a little bit about how, you know, that growth has changed um, things for you and then how you're finding people that are, that have the same mentality you just expressed. Well, that's the million dollar challenge, you know, as you get one store to two or two to ten is uh, having everybody on the same page with, with what's important and what we're all paying attention to. So um, it's just the same It's the same uh, expression of, of making it relevant and making it important and talking about it all the time. And it's, it's part of our values and it's part of what we do and it's how we, uh, how we uh, continue to be successful. And so everybody starts drinking that Kool-Aid and, and it becomes just as important to them as it is to me. And, in some cases, they take it to the next level because they realize it and, and they get it. And, and, uh, and so that's, you know, that's how it happens. When you don't have that, that culture and you don't have that mentality on your senior staff, uh, you'll, you'll, hit the, you'll hit the wall quickly because, you know, there's times where I won't get into a store for a month, you know, when we're opening a new store or that time being in Kansas City and all the Boulder stores were going on and, so I don't know all the employees' names, first names, like I used to know everybody's first name. And, and um, so this person doesn't really get trained in the way that, that speaks of that culture and, you know, that when you are an employee and you use the bathroom during a shift, that you're you're the janitor for that moment when you're in the bathroom. Every single time you go into the bathroom, your sole purpose is there to use the bathroom and then to wash your hands, but you're also pushing the, the towels down into the trash can and you're making sure that there's nothing on the floor and you're wiping around the vanity area and if there's a splash on the mirror, you're taking care of that. Like, you know, every single time a service uh, employee is anywhere in the public spot, you're 
you're looking with those kind of eyes that, you know, what's the customer seeing? And uh, if that message isn't being repeated over and over again, it's one thing to try and train five people to do that and, you know, and then get those five teaching all the the GMs and the, the AGMs and the chefs and the sous chefs. Now you're talking about 40 people. And then all the other employees, we have, you know, over 800 employees. So getting that message out to everybody that has that intensity to try and keep your eyes open and pay attention to those things, it's really hard. It's it's uh, it's very doable. I think there's a lot of great, big, huge – I think Apple does a great job of of teaching that that culture and, and really uh, putting that out. Those, an experience at an Apple store is a, is a great uh, show and – in hospitality and customer service, and they're selling a computer. It's a non, non-edible, non-luscious, non-delicious thing. Although I think that those products are pretty cool, but man, they do a great job, as a lot of companies do in America, at expressing that importance all the way down to the frontline employees. And that's just that's just key. But it's just yeah, they, oh, go it's ahead. Repet- it's just repetitive. It's just I've been saying the same thing over and over and over again for the last 25 years. You know, it's nothing – the core of what we're saying hasn't changed. You know, and it's funny. The people have changed, and I keep getting a year older, and they keep staying the same age, walking through the door looking for a job. And uh, so, you know, you got to keep your uh, your tone relevant to the to the new millennium of employee and, and how they perceive what you're saying is a lot different than someone did 20 years ago and how it's, how it's delivered and – uh, it's just everything, you know. It's, how's that, how's that changed? What are some of the big ways that's, that that's changed? The, 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 the workforce. Well, has social media just didn't even exist. You know, the thought of the thought of uh, you know, you got a phone call when you were young, working your way up in somebody's kitchen, and somebody said, "Hey, query, there's there's a phone call for you." You were like, "Oh shit!" You know, it took you it took you a day and a half to 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 work twice as hard just to get that fact that somebody called you while you were at work. And uh, and interrupted the the pace of the kitchen. Now you know you tell an employee, hey man, you need to put your cell phone down and get off Facebook. Uh, you've got a full station. Uh, you know what's what's going on here? And you, they look at you like you just insulted the family crest. You know it's, <laughs> it's it's amazing the sense of privilege of I have my cell phone and I need to stay connected. So we 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 run a pretty hard line on no no level of cell phone. Uh, presence when you're in the kitchen on the floor, um, you know it's a it's a fireable offense if it happens you know more than once that you can't seem to put your phone away when you come to work and it's just it's disrupting you know I we all eat out and sit at bars and many people you'll sit there and this guy will be on his phone or some girl will be checking out her Facebook page and you know they're they're supposed to be paying attention to you not to their to their cell phone. So it's it's challenging. Yeah, the funny thing is they don't realize it's it's, it's, it's hurting their their uh their back pocket as well because then you know when it happens to me I'm like I'm not tipping that guy very well. <laughs> well, <laughs> sure, exactly. Uh, well, one thing that you guys say there, which I thought was really cool, I think I think your uh, I think John, your director of operations, I think you told me this was his line or something, but it was like do something common uncommonly well. Um, is that something that, is that sort of an important philosophy you guys live by? Because it seems like a, your restaurants are, you know, like the post is beer and chicken, like that's common food, but you're trying to do it really uncommonly well. So talk a little bit about that. Well, with the concept, you know, they're all very specific. Jackson Seafood, Zolo Southwestern, the West End is barbecue and bourbon, the post is 
uh, hot chicken and cold beer. So we do we do drill down on those things in that way and get very specific and try and make the bullseye real big. But that can apply to anything. That can apply to opening a door for someone. I think, you know, a lot of the uh, things that have been lost a little bit uh, as this new, you know, manners are not what they used to be in America and certainly not what they used to be in service. And just yeah. just simple good manners, you know, you're – you're from the South. I would always hire someone from the South. Somebody comes in with a resume from Georgia or South Carolina or anywhere in that area, and Midwest people, man, they just have a sense of, of good manners and hardworking, good ethics and honest and integrity. And, you know, it's just harder and harder to find people that understand um, the effect that great manners have on a per- I'm a 52-year-old person. If I see a woman that's older than me or a man, it's, you know, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, like, that's just the yep. way I grew up, and, you know, just right. having great manners. When you see great, great people in the hospitality industry, you see a, a floor manager or a, or a sommelier working the floor, more often than not, there's a basis and a foundation of just killer manners, just great listeners, very aware of their surroundings, very generous with their surroundings, and um, and it just, it's just it's so engaging immediately when you're around someone, not just in the restaurant business, but anywhere, a tire shop or an Apple store or anywhere, and they have great manners, it is so noticeable immediately and so infectious to everyone else around them. And uh, and that's that's harder and harder to come by. But doing uh, common things uncommonly well is, uh, is, is just simple, simple good business instruction. You know, take every task and, and master it, you know. If it's cleaning a bottle of ketchup for the next customer, do a perfect job, you know, because if you're going to put the effort out to do it, why not do it as well as you possibly could? So, well, you know, uh, I think, Dave, man, the, the thing about manners and it's, it, it's really a uh, – some of this seems to me it's like a philosophy on how you approach life. Is it is it about me or is it about the people around me? Right. Um and when you have that approach of it's a piece, it's all about the people around me, then uh, you know that's just a mentality that, that seems to you know bode well for for somebody. And I think that that gets into uh, it kind of gets into something I'm always fascinated with, which is uh, something that can happen in restaurants a lot with chefs or owners, which is the uh, you know you can find people that that get egocentric. And uh, we've talked about this before, but the importance of not you know not having an ego and uh, focusing on, you know, not on you and your success or your smarts or your brilliance in the kitchen, but really, you know, focusing all your energy on the folks around you, your employees, your your customers. Uh, Talk a little bit about that and how that's an important aspect of, you know, being successful in the business. Well, I think humility is the greatest single asset any successful business person can have and mm-hmm. how you treat your uh, your customers is important but you're never going to get that unified approach to customer service unless you treat your employees that way so it's as important for us to, to treat our employees as customers and guests and for them to treat each other in the same way and then if there's that underlying you know foundation of we're all ladies and gentlemen treating each other like ladies and gentlemen it just is, it just carries straight over onto the guests. When you walk into a business and there's some unrest and, you know, the owner's kind of a jackass to the employees or there's some egomaniac in the kitchen or a GM who's just all about, you know, that title, 
it's so it's so evident immediately uh what what's going on in a business when you have that kind of dynamic and when you see real teamwork and when you see genuine support you know from a manager doing anything you know there's not a gm in our company that isn't the first one to grab a mop and and when some little kid has you know gotten sick and thrown up or there's a mess in the bathroom or you know anything you know it's it's first man to the broom and if it's me i'll i'll race you for it you know like um there's none of that that ego in our business and when we do have it it just sticks out so awkwardly that it usually for that person doesn't last very long because this just isn't a culture where that that personality is allowed to thrive and i think it's really important that you know humility is is talked about what that means and what that looks like and it's it's about manners and it's about wanting everybody to be successful and it's about the underlying objective which is what can we do for this group of four people that is getting out of their car in front who's chosen us tonight and there's all these other choices that you know are fantastic and they chose one of our joints and here they come they're pulling on the door all right what are we going to do to be world famous and how are we going to act in, in that effort you know so every little every little opportunity presents itself and we either try to do it really really well uncommonly well or we just do it at the same level as everybody else and and then we're just like everybody else there's no reason that nothing nothing that sets us uniquely apart from anybody else that's doing a half ass job yeah and uh especially i mean towns you're in boulder and really all over in colorado now the culinary scene is taking off and i mean you're at the epicenter of it in a lot of ways um oh it's blowing up everywhere and that that food scene in kansas city chicago's always been on fire new york and san francisco continue to just go crazy austin texas portland seattle memphis is going wild i mean everywhere you know there's there's good food and good cocktails and a focus on service everywhere so coming to town and thinking you're the shit anymore and you know you're going to do it and you're going to blow everybody else out of the water well good luck to you you know if you're if you're that good and you can do it then then more power to you but it's a lot harder to make that impression on a guest these days than it used to be because there's so many smart competitors so many smart chefs and and restaurant operators and owners that are out there doing it and uh it's a lot harder to stand above the crowd than it used to be for sure does that keep you energized having all that competition? Yeah, energized would be one word, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not, you're like, damn, <laughs> be nice not to ask so much. But it does uh, probably keep your creative juices flowing, I would think. And, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, good competition is good for business. It's good for the customers because all these businesses are trying harder and harder to be better and and it's good for the for everybody involved with the business. It's like, hey, man, we used to be one of three. Now we're one of 12, you know, that are really doing it at our level. So what yeah. are we going to do today to, to really make an impression that we, you know, that we didn't do yesterday and, and make that much more of a statement that we're paying attention and we're appreciative and we're humble and we're we're still learning and we're trying to figure it all out. Yeah, it's it's a... And it's only get you know even the even the the chain you know some of the chain groups are getting smarter and smarter. There was never a time when a fast casual restaurant was setting a pace on anything, and now Steve at Chipotle's setting trends on buying and setting trends on you know sustainability and and how they're treating their employees and all kinds of stuff. So it's coming from all angles. It's not just we're all competing in this certain level of fine dining or finer dining. 
Um, it's coming from everywhere. You know, there's there's smart business happening at every level right now. So it's it's a good time to be in business. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. Now, all right, the last thing I want to ask you, I'm going to let you run. I know you're real busy, but one thing you had mentioned before years ago was that you really like university towns. And I always thought when you expanded, I was like, man, Dave's going to go to Austin or, you know, Ann Arbor or, or wherever. So uh, what happened in Kansas City? <laughs> Kansas City was a uh, classic. Uh, what I hit on earlier was a group that sought us out and had been to Jack's and really wanted Jack's in their building and um, just just pursued us and offered us a deal that we just could not refuse. And then I met the developer, this group out of Kansas City, the Van Trust Group, and uh, so genuine, so honest, so completely uh, humility-ridden that the deal was done once we started actually talking about business because just – just being a tenant of theirs, I've learned so much about business uh, that, you know, there was no way that wasn't going to happen. But college towns are still a great environment um, to do business in, I think, because every year, you know, University of Colorado has 20,000 students. So every year there's 5,000 new students and there are 10,000 parents bringing them to class for the first, you know, which is next week for us. We'll have just this crush of 15 or 20,000 people coming to town here in Boulder in Denver and they all want to eat out and try the new restaurants and so then you do your best to you know we know who they are there's they're they're it's so funny to see parents dropping their kids off at school and you know and so you go and you connect with them and and then you own them for the next four years because they come to town and you know our management turnover is low so chances are for the four years that they're in town they're going to run into the same person that made such a great impression on them the first time and and then we get to know them by name and where they're from, and we're taking care of Junior or, or Susie, and, and we're looking after them and sometimes employing them and along the way as well. And so it's just this this constant uh, rebirthing of, you know, depending on the size of the school, three to 8,000 new potential customers in the students, and then there are 15 to 20,000 parents uh, that are coming to drop them off and coming for Parents Weekend and coming for ball games and there's always an alumni event. You know, CU and most schools kind of operate like a Vatican. They're just making their own rules, and they're well-funded, and they're well-financed, and there's just so much business that happens uh, that churns around a University of Michigan or a Stanford or a University of Colorado or University of Kentucky program and all the money that filters out to the community uh, as a result of a successful college, you know, and successful doesn't mean a great sports team. It, it means just that, just a lot of, of energy and entrepreneurial spirit going on uh, around a smart college. It's just, it's so great for business. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, man. Uh, Dave, I could listen to you talk about this shit for hours, man. <laughs> I really could. I really appreciate it very much. Uh, yeah, I know man. anybody listening will, too. And uh, you're the man, man. I really just, folks, uh, look up Big Red F. Um, Check out the great stuff they're doing. Hopefully, you can get to one of their places if you're in any of those towns. And uh, and just uh, thank you for listening, Dave. Thanks so so much for the time and and just for the relationship. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you, man. All right, man. Take care. Have a good one. Talk soon. Okay. Bye.